So we looked at engaged. We look at we engage God in worship. We spent a couple of Sundays on that. Uh, we spent one Sunday last week on engaging the lost in evangelism and that we were to pray for the gospel message and that we were to pray for protection for those who share it. And that's us and also missionaries around the world that share the gospel. Today, I want to come in and look at the scripture. And I think it's so vital that we understand this. That the Bible is God's word. It is from him, and therefore we can trust it. Now, you know about 2 Timothy. This is Paul's last book. He will be executed for his faith. He will be martyred for his faith immediately following this. And he is writing to Timothy, who is in Ephesus, who is leading the, the, the church there. And he writes to Timothy and says, look, this is so important. And what he says in chapter 4 um, about preaching, it is so important, Timothy, that I want you to take this to heart. And I have to tell you this. When I come up here every Sunday, <clears throat> no matter what I have going on in my life, uh, no matter what's happening, I know that the preaching of this word and the reading of this word is important to the kingdom of God. So... I always bring my A game. Sometimes my A game may not be my A game, uh, but I want you to understand my heart is to give you the word of God. It may not always come out exactly the way I like it, but I know that God will use whatever I say for his kingdom, for his purpose. And so as we start today, we look at what Timothy or what Paul tells Timothy. First of all, God gave us scripture. God gave us scripture. He starts by saying, all scripture is breathed out by God. The word all is the word pas, which refers to each and every scripture that is written. The word scripture is graphe in the Greek, and it means passage or writing. So the word scripture is used 49 times in the New Testament. So it's, it doesn't seem that significant but it is very significant every time the word scripture is used. Uh, it, there is, in some way, a reference to the Old Testament because when Paul wrote this, uh, at the time, the only thing that they had was the Old Testament and maybe some writings that had been passed around. So when Paul says all scripture, he is referring to uh, primarily the Old Testament and to the writings that were circulating at the time because the Bible was not canonized till much later. Um, when we talk about all scripture for us today, there are 66 books. You have the law, history, poetry, prophecy, where you have the minor and major prophets. You have the gospels. You have the book of Acts, which is the acts of the church, if you will, the formation of the church. Then you have the letters. The only thing I would change here is not Catholic, but these are general epistles. So when we talk today about all scripture, we are talking about this. We are talking about the Bible in which is we know today. We are talking about Genesis all the way through to Revelation. All Scripture. Now, why is that important leading up to what I'm getting ready to say? Because every book of the Bible is, as Paul says, breathed out by God. 
in a contemporary culture in which we live where the Bible is, and particularly from so-called Christian uh, pastors and teachers, that some of the Bible is not inerrant, uh, some of the Bible does not apply to today, Paul rebukes that, re re rebukes that, and says all Scripture is breathed out by God. And the word here, the word here, breathed out by God, theanopasos, theanopasos. It is a community, listen to this, it is a communication which is inspired by God, and so much so that the Latin Vulgate just translates this inspired rather than breathed out. It is inspired by God. Not the only place that this is mentioned. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And what Peter is saying there is that no matter what prophecies there were in the Old Testament, they were not written by man. They were not, yeah, God used the individual writer's personality and, and, and all of those dimensions that go into human characteristics. But ultimately, these men were directed under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it can be trusted. I make no, make no apologies for that. But the word here uh, carried along, getting back to this word inspired. What does it mean? Well, I'll give you a word picture. What? what Paul, or, uh, Peter's saying here, carried along by the Holy Spirit. Carried along conveys the idea of inspired, but also it's, it's a reference to a ship that is blown by the wind. And the reference here in the words uh, breathed out by God is the word pneuma, which is wind or spirit. What we have to understand is that when the biblical writer sat down to write the word of God, he was under divine inspiration and was being carried along as he wrote, as he was inspired by God through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Nowhere, nowhere, even including the text where Paul says, I, not the Lord, say that is inspired by God too. I want you to realize there is no part of Scripture that is not directed by God. Zero. Every one of the Scripture letters, the writings, the words, they were all under the inspiration of God. Do you believe that this morning? Because if you don't believe that, there's a central problem. Because if you don't believe that, then the Bible is just another book written by a few men, and according to some uh, liberal scholars, Paul was a female basher. He didn't like women. No, that is not the case. It is written by men who were inspired by God, and therefore we can trust it. Otherwise, we fold up shop, we go to the house, and you all have a nice afternoon. That's not how it works. We know the word is, in, is inspired. So the question is, as we talk about connect around God's word, why is divine inspiration so important? That's a big theological, this is a, well, I say big, this is a major theological point. First of all, inspiration, the Bible being fully inspired by God, is so big because it transcends man. Yes, Paul wrote scripture. But Paul did not, not write Scripture in isolation. 
God was directing the Apostle Paul to write the very words that we read this morning. If it's just man's writing, then it can be challenged and even corrected and changed depending on the cultural setting. No. It transcends man. This is not a book that we came up with. In fact, in fact, you think about the probability that all the prophecies about Christ in the Old Testament even remotely coming true if it's written by man in the New Testament. All the prophecies about Jesus Christ. And you'd have to have thousands of years of, of different uh, writers and authors coming in to try to write this story. Impossible apart from the presence and the inspiration of God. Secondly, you hear God's voice. You hear God's voice when you read the Word. How many of you have read the Bible? I just, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but it'd be nice if you did. How many of you have read the Scriptures and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was speaking to you as you were reading? Yep. Thank you. Yeah. Do you know where that comes from? That comes from the Holy Spirit. That comes from the Holy Spirit interacting in your life with the Word of God saying, look, I'm, I'm speaking to you. Trust it. Thirdly, it's trustworthy for life. You know, there's not a lot of things in this life that you can trust, right? Some of the things you think you can trust in, you really can't, and then you find out that you really can't trust in them. You can't trust in doctors because they make mistakes. You can't trust in car dealers, and I never trust in car dealers, but you can't trust in anything. The only thing that you can trust in for sure is the Word of God. And therefore, when we read the Word of God, we know for sure that this is what God wants us to know. So, for example, when Paul says, Do your best to come to me, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica, Paul proves my point. Demas was one that could not be trusted, but Timothy could. And so when we talk about trustability, we are talking about that we can go to the Word of God and we can listen to it, and we can know for sure that this comes from God. And we can build our lives on it. How many hours of a day, or how, how much time of the day do you spend in the Word of God? How much? Because that's where, that's where you get your connection time with God, is by spending time in the Word. You say, well, pastor, I really don't have time to spend time in the Word. Um, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. I think it takes, it, depending on which chapter you read, it may take you 10 minutes to read one chapter. You got time. Third, fourthly, spiritual in nature. This makes, the, this makes the Word of God spiritual in nature. What do I mean by that? And I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to add something to it. When a lost person reads the Scripture, 
and, I, and, I've, and I've heard this. When I read the scripture, I don't understand it. And I'm like, of course you don't understand it. Because it's spiritually discerned. But when you trust in Jesus Christ, you're able to, you're able to, wow, okay, I get it now, I get this. What, what makes the difference between the lost and the unlost? Well, the saved have the Spirit living in them, and they can read the Word of God, and they can understand it. The lost, when they read the Word of God, they can't understand it. Now, let me, let me add a little footnote here. It doesn't mean that the lost can't understand it in relation to salvation. St. Augustine was not saved. Sat under a tree, read the Word of God, and became saved. The issue is, do you want Christ? Do you want to see him as Lord and Savior? And when you trust in him, I'm just going to tell you, even if you're a baby Christian or just starting out, I get it. Um, you may not understand everything in the Bible, but you can definitely understand the fact that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and then you, you grow from there. You grow from there. Okay. Um, then he talks about not only the origin, but the benefits. Now let's look at the benefits. He says here in verse 16b, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Aphelimos, aphelimos, profitable means beneficial. I go one step further and drill down into this word. It, can, it, it also means pertaining to value. So there is value in the scripture. Let's, let's get an overview here just for a second. So there's four values or four things that the Apostle Paul says here. Um, both of these can be, can be focused on doctrine and behavior. So if we look at this first one, teaching, it leads to reproof. So the doctrine of teaching leads to reproof. Secondly, the word correction leads to righteousness. So this is kind of a general breakdown as we go through this, you have doctrine on the words teaching and correction, and then you have behavior on the words reproof and uh, training and righteousness. Now, as we go through this, listen to this. Teaching, the word teaching, didascalia, didascalia, to provide a formal or informal instruction. I like what Robert Mount said in his commentary, teaching is a technical term in the pastoral epistles for doctrinal formation of Scripture. And when we talk about this, we talk about biblical theology, that is a particular book, and systematic theology, which is all books. So when you read the Apostle Paul, for example, and you'll notice that the Apostle Paul uses the word justification, that is a particular book, biblical theology. How Paul uses the word justification may not be the same way that another writer uses it back over in the Old Testament or whatever. That's called systematic theology. You put all of that together to make a coherent understanding of Scripture. So, now the question is, what does he mean, didascalia, in the form of teaching as it relates to formal and informal setting. Well, one is what we're doing right now. So what I'm doing right now is didascalia to you. 
it is teaching in a formal setting such as worship any pastor that's ever preached on a Sunday has done didascalia in a formal setting like this but it can also be in an informal setting such as what we do on Tuesday evening at 630 that is an informal setting but regardless teaching is taking place and as a believer whether I'm listening to a sermon whether you're listening to a sermon you are to take this information since you know that the word of God comes from God it is divinely inspired and that the pastor is trying to communicate what God has divinely inspired and give it to you you on in the other end you take note and listen to what God may be saying to you I know sometimes Sometimes I, I, I preach and I preach on a particular subject and I've heard you say this as you leave church. Wow, you really spoke to me here, really felt God speaking to me here. I may not even have been preaching on that. But yet that's what God spoke to you about during the sermon. Didascalia, that is the transformation of teaching to you so that you can reach maybe a state of elegamos elegamos what is that well that's the word for reproof my friend and pastor pastor newt larson wrote this because the bible is god's word and because it reveals truth it exercises authority over those who deviate from its standards Reproof points out sin and confronts disobedience. So when I'm preaching a sermon or when you're reading the word of God and you come to a place and you go, ooh, that hurt. Do you know where that comes from? That comes from the didascalia, pointing out something that is wrong in your life and mind. We've all experienced some type of conviction. Whether we're, we're confronted with the word, we go, yep, that hit me, that, that got me. And the, the, the problem is, if we don't listen to the word of God, it can never confront us. And what I find happens a lot in the lives of Christians is that they will skirt around issues in their own life because they don't want reproof. Or they file it all under grace. Have you ever done that? You hear, a, you hear a sermon or you read in the scripture and all of a sudden you get hit and you just kind of move on from it. I don't want to deal with that area. God understands. He knows. <laughs> yeah, he does know <laughs> more than you think he knows. When you gotta, you got to confront this stuff. I mean, if God's speaking to you about a particular sin or a particular problem in your life, you have to deal with it. But we don't like to deal with that. But it says here, profitable for teaching, reproof, and then, of course, he goes one step farther and adds correction. I, this is really a good, um, I think probably every sermon should, do this 
Um, it's not just pointing out sin or wrongdoing. I, I think about the, the pastors of old that would get up and they would scream and holler, and I'm, I'm guilty of that at times too, but um, get up there and scream and holler, but really not pointing out the right way to live. And, you know, I like, we, we had a revival in our, my first little church years ago. Um, the pastor, to say the least, was deafening. Um, I sat on the front row and was baptized every night of the revival um, because sweat was pouring off of him. Ironically, I thought the guy brought a good message. But, what I didn't hear was how to correct the wrong. Get right tonight. Okay, well, get right tonight can convey a lot of different things. What specifically? Here in this case, if I was um, teaching you here today about the word, word of God, is that if you're not reading the Word of God, and you're, you've, or you are reading the Word of God, and when you're confronted with Scripture that you avoid it, my admonishment to you would be not to avoid it, but deal with it. And let God correct you. I know none of us, we don't like to be corrected generally, but this is what the Word of God is for. I once heard a, either a comedian or a pastor, I can't, they're not the same, I know that for sure, but uh, sometimes they are if they get up in the pulpit and tell jokes the whole sermon. But um, people get angry with the truth because it lets them know they don't have it. <laughs> You've got to be confronted. We have to learn to be confronted with Scripture and be okay with that. Do, everybody in here wants to live for Christ, right? I know you do. I've been your pastor for 10 years. I know you want to live for him. Part of living for him is allowing yourself to be corrected. No raise, no raise hands. How many, uh, how many recently, I want, want you to think about this. When was the last time you asked God to forgive you of sin? It's because we don't like to repent. Too often we hear from the pulpit, all of your sin is under the blood of Jesus. Yes, I get that, and I've preached that. But that doesn't mean that we never confront our sin again. We don't just live how we want to live and file it under grace. We can't do that. Dare I say, we even call that disgrace. When we live like that, that we can just file it all under the blood of Jesus. And doing that, trivializes sin right <laughs> let me say it this way sin is what put Jesus on the cross it's serious therefore as a child of God I want to confront this and I want to deal with it so I get it out of my life here's the wonderful thing Here's the wonderful thing, not really contained here, but this is my, my own thing. 
when you ask for forgiveness of sin in your life, God will immediately forgive it. God will immediately forgive it. So when Paul says here, teaching that leads to uh, reproof and to correction, then we can start discussing training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. This is simple. I thought this was going to be a big phrase, but this is what it means. To instruct in doing what God requires. Do you get the flow here? It starts with teaching the word of God. That leads to something somebody is not doing based on the teaching, which leads to correction, which leads to, okay, now how do we do it right? What is pleasing to God? I, I, I love this. Uh, there's, there's a right way and a wrong way. Very, very simple. Right way and a wrong way to live for him. And one of the verses that I think will just help us all immensely if we would do it comes from the prophet Micah. What does God require of you, O man, that you act justly, you love mercy, and you walk humbly with your God? He even uses the word, what does God require in the form of training of righteousness? Let's look at this. To act justly. That means a broad scheme of things. It means to act justly between you and another person. It means to act justly in your life, how you live. Uh, You could maybe even put it this way. Um, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Pretty simple. What about love mercy? Oh boy. Love mercy means that we cannot, you see that? This is what God requires. It's in his word. And if you go to the New Testament, you'll find this stuff too. Love mercy. That means we should be quick to give mercy to those who want it. And even to those who don't want it. Do you know that God showed mercy on us while we were yet sinners? Christ died for us on the cross to walk humbly with your God, not walk with pride. Those are things though this. You know what? (laughs) I honestly believe this. If we did just this in our lives, just this act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. I bet you. (laughs) I bet you we would we would be more on fire for God and Jesus Christ and the church, and we would be living out a vast majority of the commands that Jesus gave us. Just do these three things. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. That covers a a broad spectrum, and I I love Micah for saying it. Of course, he didn't say it, because God inspired Scripture. God spoke through Micah just like he's doing through Paul here. All right. God gave us a scripture to equip us for the task. Now, let me say this. This book was primarily written to pastors at the primary level. Timothy was a pastor. 
And therefore, this is a pastoral book. That's why they call it the pastoral epistles. But it doesn't mean that we can't apply it to our lives. So, God gave us scripture to equip us for a task. Now, he writes here in verse 17 that the man of God may be competent. Anthropos, that's a man. Let me say this without any apology. I just can't do it because I know the truth. Women pastors are not biblical. There is no such thing as a woman pastor. No matter how hard we try to cram scripture, on a practical level, how many of the original 12 disciples were women? How many? None. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love women. It's just the fact that God doesn't ordain women pastors. He says, therefore, the man of God, Theos, that is creator of the universe. I think it's tied into the masculine form of man there, anthropos. It means that the man of God, he's, and when he tells him other places, too, about appointing elders in every city, that's a masculine term as well. Um, so that the man of God may be competent. So the way that the man of God becomes competent is based on the inerrancy of Scripture and the infallibility of Scripture and the, uh, and the breathed out, inspired Scripture. That's how the man of God becomes competent. It's to use the word of God. Therefore, when a pastor, when a teacher, when a preacher preaches the word of God, at minimum, I expect him to read the scripture. At minimum. To read the scripture from the pulpit. That the man of God may be competent. And the word competent, artias, artias. That word means fit or in shape. Fit or in shape. Something like this. The word of God makes the minister fit. We're not talking outwardly. We're talking inwardly. When the word of God is used in ministry, it makes the pastor strong. That's at the primary level. When you read and study the word of God, it makes you strong spiritually for the task that God has given us. And I don't know what your task is, but I'll tell you this. Every person in the kingdom of God has a task. Did you know that? God has an assignment for you. So that you may be competent. That you may be strong. And like I said, for pastors, the word of God is the vehicle by which they conduct ministry. Whether it's counseling, whether it's preaching, whether it's visiting, whether it's leading a Bible study. For the lay person, the word of God becomes your rock, your fortress, your foundation for your life. How you grow in grace, how you grow in knowledge, how you grow in wisdom of God. 
all of those things are contained in the word of God as we read them. But not only that you be competent, qualified, but that Paul says that we do good works. For we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's, uh, we had a saying in the army, Lottie Dottie and everybody. Everybody that is a Christian is created for good works. Not that your good work saves you, but you were specifically created for a good work in the kingdom of God. Did you know that? That's what you're supposed, that's what you and I are all supposed to be doing, the, the good works. Now, the question is, he says here, equipped. That means completely furnished, uh, completely furnished. So when you are reading the scripture, this may be boring to some of you, I don't know, but when you read the scripture, you get equipped. You get completely furnished with what you need for the task that you have to do. As you read scripture, God, think of it this way, maybe like a, like a tool belt. As you read the word of God, you're able to add tools to your tool belt so that when God calls you to a task, you take the tool belt out and you use it for the kingdom of God. The problem is today, we have so many Christians that have no tools in their tool belt and therefore cannot conduct the ministry that God has given them to do. Or, and I've seen this in, in cases where God is calling somebody to do something and they won't go. Easier for us to study the word of God, to let God confront our sin, to repent of that sin, to do what he's called us to do, learn the right way to live for him. And by the way, this, uh, the words, good works, agathos ergon, agathos ergon. You know what this means? Good acts. Good acts. Thomas Lay in his commentary wrote this. If Timothy would nurture his spiritual life in the scriptures, which is what we've been talking about, that he would use in his ministry, he would be fully qualified and prepared to undertake whatever task God puts before him. I know you guys and gals, and I know you want to be prepared for whatever God has for you. Here is your training manual. This is your training manual. As you read the training manual, oh, you learn, oh, you learn, oh, you learn, and you start putting this into your belt so that when God puts a task in front of you, you are then able to take the tool out of the tool belt and use it for God's kingdom. You know, just on a practical level, do you know how much God loves you? God loves you so much that he sent Christ to die on the cross for you. He loves you so much that he gives you a task. Think of that. You, uh, something that maybe God is speaking to you about right here in this sermon. 
right here. God's been saying, uh, would you would you do this? Would you do this? And you're like, no. If that is so precious, do you realize if God has laid that on your heart, he will use you in his kingdom. Wow. And it starts with getting in the word of God. If you're not reading scripture, you're not praying. Audrey and I have gotten in the habit every evening now before bed. We read Psalm 100 based on our small group. We read it every night before bed and then we have prayer and uh, something as simple as that. Picking a psalm or something and reading it. Just read it. Let God work on you. This is what we're going to conclude with. First of all, we can trust Scripture. You do know that, right? Yep. We, we can trust it. Secondly, we should take Scripture to heart. That's why God wrote it. Uh, when it confronts us on our sin, change. Okay, God, I was wrong. Thirdly, not only can we trust Scripture, we should take Scripture to heart, but studying the Scripture will make us effective. The more you read, the more you know about the kingdom of God and his plans for your life. I know there's some passages that are really difficult to understand and scholars have debated them for years and we may never know the answer until we see Jesus. But as I read scripture, some of it's really easy. A lot of the commands in the Bible are very simple. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. How does that work out? It's pretty simple. Those who love me obey my commands. That's pretty simple. Honor your father and mother. That's pretty simple. But as we read it, God takes us deeper into his word. And that's where, that's where the root system takes place. Jesus told a lot of parables about the root system. And you need to have it deep. And that's what I want as your pastor. That's, that's, that's what I want for you. I want you to, to love the word, to study the word, and to live by the word. That's what, that's what any pastor would want for his congregation.